Welcome to Baby Tour Guide's Montessori Babies podcast. I'm your host and baby tour guide, Bianca Solorsano, and for the last decade, I have dedicated myself to helping parents, educators, and caregivers optimize baby development through a Montessori lens. This podcast is all about evolving our Montessori practice to make our time with our sweet babies easier, relaxed, and so much fun. Let's jump into it. Hello, everyone. Welcome to season two, episode 28 of our Montessori Babies podcast. This week, we had the amazing Pamela Green on our show, and she talked to us all about Montessori from the very, very start. So even pregnancy, it is so beautiful because in the Montessori training, so in my AMI Montessori training, we learned all about what the child experiences in utero. And Pamela has an extensive history working with moms starting at pregnancy. And so to dive into her bio, Pamela is a Montessori parent and grandparent, as well as the owner of Ananda Montessori, which is a Montessori playgroup in Northeast Pennsylvania, and administrating in Montessori as a credentialed early childhood, elementary one and two, parent-infant facilitator training, and positive discipline parent educator for over 35 years. Since 1989, she's served as a birth doula, a midwife assistant, and a childbirth educator. Pamela is a consultant and mentor to teachers, staff, schools, and parents worldwide. And let me tell you, I felt so honored to have her on my show, and I cannot wait to share our conversation with you guys because it was just so beautiful. Before we jump into our conversation, I want to go ahead and start with our quote for the week. It is, of course, by the wonderful Dr. Montessori, and she said, At birth, the child leaves a person, his mother's womb, and this makes him independent of her bodily functions. The baby is next endowed with an urge or need to face the out world and to absorb it. We might say that he's born with the psychology of world conquest. By absorbing what he finds about him, he forms his own personality. So I chose this quote because of how much we talk about pregnancy and birth and life shortly thereafter for mama and baby, and it is just a beautiful conversation that I just can't wait to share with you guys. I also want to quickly note in a fun update that I have a really lovely guide that I've been working on and just finished. It is totally free, and it has the essentials that you need to do Montessori at home with your baby. That will be linked in the show notes. No opt-in needed. You don't have to give me your email or anything. It is just a free guide for you to use to support your journey and it is just jam-packed with a lot of my favorite baby development and Montessori baby pieces of info. So definitely check that out. Okay, so without further ado, let me go ahead and introduce you to Pamela and jump right into the interview. Thank you so much, Pamela, for coming on the show. I'm so excited to have you. (laughs) Thank you for inviting me. It's a pleasure to be with you today. So um, just to get to know you a little bit, can you tell us a bit about, you know, how you found Montessori as well as your educational and professional history and then what you currently do so our audience can get to know you a bit? Sure. This is many years ago, back in the, when I was in university in the late 70s, early 80s, I was in traditional, actually Penn State because I live in Pennsylvania, and I was in early childhood education. And the professor we had, for his excursion to go visit a school, we went to a Montessori school. So we were in the class, it was a theories and education class. Mm -hmm. So he happened to know this person that had started, had just started a Montessori school in 1981. So that's where we went. And I didn't know, you know, and it's still pretty common to have in, if you're in, in university or college, wherever you are, to have maybe a few paragraphs about Marie Montessori. Mm-hmm. There's not a lot, but there was something. And he just happened to have alignment within himself with that. And so we went to that that place. And I just remember, I'm 63 now, so that was a long time ago. And I remember going in and going down these steps and entering this place where children came running out to greet me and shake my hand and show me where to hang my 
coat because it was in the winter. And um, one little girl just took my hand and brought me into this room. And I went in and uh, children were everywhere. They were moving all around. And it took quite a while for me to see any grown-ups. I thought it was the land of children Mm -hmm. uh, where I felt very comfortable. And then I saw some adults that were seated on the floor. They didn't. So we were a whole class that was coming. Mm -hmm. There were a lot of us. And we just came in and different children, they just naturally came to us. So I went and I sat with this girl and she was working on something and she was showing me what she was doing and telling me about it. And I settled in and I sat and I looked around and I just saw really what in my, you know how the feeling is when you, you find a place that you've been dreaming of, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you find it Mm -hmm. and it's real. That was what happened. Mm, it's so beautiful. And I um I felt like it was, and I think from I mean it, it doesn't matter if it's Montessori, whatever that is that calls to us, it becomes like a, you know, once you enter into that, or this is how it was for me, it was like an initiation. Mm. It's something, a process began. And that school in particular, we visited and I we had our experience. I left and I knew this is what I wanted. And so I went back to the to the um, university and the professor was my advisor. And I went to him and I said, I, I'm going to be changing my major. And then he was said, why? And I said, well, I want to do Montessori. And, you know, there wasn't back then, there was not, there was one place in the, in this country, at least on the East Coast to go. And it was in D- Washington, D.C. And it was a whole year long, very intensive. I was 20 years old, not quite ready to do that. So I changed my major actually to uh, creative writing, mm-hmm. which I've always been a writer. And but what what happened was the school that was there in 1981, the man that started it, we became dear friends. And the first child that had enrolled in that school was my closest friend's daughter. Mm. And she, one, the there was one person driving in the family. And so I offered to drive this child to the children's house. And I started to do that. And I didn't leave. Like I would just stay while she was there for the three hours and I would take her home. And that happened more and more. And the person that later became my mentor, uh, he came to me one day and handed me a notebook and he said, just watch. Wow. Just watch. And here, here's a pen if you want to write anything down. And then another day he came to me and he handed me uh, the book, The Absorbent Mind by Marie Montessori. And he said, just take this. (laughs) Montessori, I feel is because I also attend births. It's very much an apprenticeship model. I feel that that was her intention, that we learn within community and we learn from the child and we learn, I would say, in collaboration with other, it, I wouldn't, people that have been been in this before us. So whether they're more experienced, you know, we're all in our process. Mm-hmm. And that that is mentoring, mm-hmm. which is really when training begins is after training, then there's mentorship. So that happened. And then around the same time, but a few years later, a friend of mine was pregnant and she was having a home birth. And I met the midwife, the first midwife that I met, who I still attend births with. So we've been attending births together for uh, 35 years. Wow, that's incredible. (laughs) So that there, you know, when there's an auspicious time in your life where things sort of come together, Mm -hmm. Montessori and attending births, 
And I was I would go to prenatals with my friend. And I remember the first time that I placed my hands on a pregnant woman's belly and I felt that same like this is home. Mm. Me, the same thing. So those things happened. My husband and I moved away. I well, we we, we got married and then traveled away into the South for a few years. And I taught in the Montessori school in 1983 was my first year teaching. And then we returned back here when I was pregnant with our first son, who's 37. Right when I got back, I went back to the school, re-entered into my training that I'd been in. And then I attended my first home birth when I was pregnant in 1986. And then shortly after the boys were young, I still was going back to the school and I just would be there. And one day my mentor said to me, you know, you work here now. And um, I said, yes. And he said, well, so then, you know, it was a formal working. And he knew also that I attended birth. So that's always been part of what I've done together. And so I always feel for myself from 1981 till now, what is my Montessori time? And then I've I've taken training in the uh, early childhood, so the three to six, and then elementary, lower and upper, so up through really eighth grade. And then I also received training to be a Montessori parent, independent child facilitator. I did that training and now I, I train teachers in that. I've been doing that for the last, well, since 2013. So the school that I went to in 1981, I was started teaching there and then I became head of that school and then I stayed with that school till 2013. Wow. And in the meantime, too, my boys, they they attended my school. And my husband, who's still fully involved in all parts Montessori, they were there. We all had our kids at the school. Hmm. And I grew it from one room up till eighth grade. Wow. But I I left there in 2013. And I just the place where that school was is Erie, Pennsylvania. And I live about a half hour from there, but even further because I moved my school out after 23 years into the country more. And then I just felt like I wanted, I love to work with parents and I've been a consultant and a mentor since 1989 and a childbirth educator and all those things. And I just wanted to have some way that parents, grandparents, caregivers could immerse themselves in a practice of Montessori. So my husband continues to help in great ways, but we uh, started Ananda Montessori here in this room where I'm sitting. This was the first environment. And after we were here for four years in our home, and then when there were so many children that it became obvious we needed to find a space, we spent a year looking and now we're in a actually a storefront. Wow, how cool. So it's like two blocks from here. And so, it's, you know, uh, it's a Montessori parent of the child program, but I call them Mon- Montessori play groups just to sort of, um, you know, what is familiar to people. Mm-hmm. Sure. That, that is something that they may know. And I, uh, as well at Ananda and as part of the training that I do with people that begin whatever they create, I begin in pregnancy. So at Ananda, there are the childbirth education classes, or we have birthing films. We have different things going on over there. Many of the people have been there since it started, and and they were pregnant. And when someone's pregnant at anywhere, any place I've been, I've always felt that that child is in the class. They are in class. So. They start then. Mm -hmm. Oh, my goodness. Well, this sounds so magical. Your Ananda Montessori just sounds incredible. I wish it was closer so I could have gone too. (laughs) (laughs) But this just sounds so incredible. So I'm so excited to pick your brain because, you know, given 
just all of your incredible experience and insight and your history. You are such an an incredible resource for learning about the first prepared environment. So can you describe what this means for our audience? Because we do have quite a few expecting parents in our community. And do you mind sharing any tips for expecting new parents out there? Yes. Well, we, wherever we are in the world, wherever we are, we are in our own environment. You are right now. I'm in my environment and which are unique to you and it's unique to me. Mm-hmm. But we all at one point lived in the first prepared environment, which was within our mother. That was our first environment living in a, I think of it as a galaxy of salt water and everything that we needed was there for us. And it is a time of rich sensory awareness within the unborn child. You know, sometimes some people think, I think it's more cultural. I wouldn't say people think this, but maybe some resonate with it, where when we're pregnant or when we see someone that's pregnant, we think more of the mother and then we think of the baby once the baby's born. And there's a whole life that's lived, that we all lived. We lived that life. And it was unique to us because of our circumstances in our family and those things. But the unborn child is very much the same as, uh, and this is how I feel anyway, that the child is moving through even sensitive periods similar to what we talk about in Montessori after birth, mm-hmm. where they are orienting themselves within the environment. So they're using their their feet and their body to move around to know where am I in here? What is this? They're using their hands to touch. They are, uh, as pregnancy moves along, they are um, able to taste. Mm-hmm. There's taste there. There is certainly very early on responsiveness to touch for themselves, but also touch from outside to them, whether it's actual physical touch on the body and also the, the touching of the emotions and the feelings of the, the woman in the uh, family. Mm-hmm. So there, there's that. And they can see it's very blurred, but that there's that sight. They can certainly hear. So that's one thing that I talk about, you know, with people that are pregnant or or anyone who wants to listen <laughs> around that the child who is not yet born is living with, as Maria Montessori speaks of, we live within the environment where we are mm-hmm. in our culture and that unborn child is as well. And so to have sensitivity around that this is a collaboration that the mother and the child and the co-parent and the siblings, if there are siblings, and however far the family extends and then into the wider community, the child is immersed in that. Mm-hmm. That makes a lot of sense. And something that I guess resonated was about the you know, being immersed in their culture from this point, especially because when I think of culture, I think of language and food and, you know, music and, you know, just a lot of the different pieces that make up, you know, where you come from. And yeah, they can absolutely sense those things, you know, experience those things. That's amazing. So diving into that a little bit, you know, one of the topics that you and I discussed when we were initially messaging was the rich sensory life of the unborn child. So would you mind expanding on that a little bit? (laughs) Absolutely. Well, one thing that is important, as I said, is just to remind ourselves that the child is experiencing and all the ways that that I talked about. And, you know, I, I had a prenatal this week at a home and I was there and I was measuring the woman's, the fundus, so the belly, so we're looking at the growth. And the moment I put my hands on her belly, I always will say hello Mm -hmm. to the child. And when my left hand went at a certain point, this foot just came right up and (laughs) And I said, hello, it's so nice to feel you. Mm -hmm. And then I could feel a hand there, so another part. And then moving down through, and the baby was moving a lot in response to my touch. 
Mm. And so having conversation as I am with you, this is a person. Yeah. And, you know, there have been many studies about this and anyone who has been pregnant or has been with anyone during that time, there is response from the child through movement. So if a woman is dancing, if a woman is moving in a certain way, the baby may begin to move in that certain way. I was at another prenatal a few months back and the mother had said that she hadn't, it was kind of early in the pregnancy. And so she wasn't concerned, but she just hadn't noticed a lot of movement. And this was her, uh, we've helped her a number of times. And then she said that just the day before it had been a nice day and her husband had been outside and uh, they were all playing. So he and the two boys were playing. They have a big yard and they were running around and rolling around and jumping and mm-hmm. kind of having a, a blast together. Mm-hmm. And she said, all of a sudden, the baby started moving. And she said the baby was moving and just like they were. That's so amazing. <laughs> she, was, she was to feel this. So here I, here she is. She's here. They're over here. And this is happening. So it just reminded me to really um, challenge within myself, my own ideas, even around space. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. And they live, the other thing I'll add, you know, if we're in water, then, you know, if you've gone swimming or you're swimming and you go down underneath and you talk to another person or you just hear sounds, they're vibration. So from the mother or the co-parent or the siblings, our voice quality has vibration. The unborn child responds to that. They respond to our feeling state. They respond to our thoughts, I feel. And there have been many studies recently on, and you probably have seen them around, that we hold within us like parts of our grandmother's, not genes, but particles or the cells from her gets passed down. Mm -hmm. And the other thing that studies have recently come out about is how, so if I'm pregnant and I'm having some heart difficulty, there the um the the unborn child within them there are like synapses that are coming together and are being sent off to that area of the mother ah. so there's like healing happening during that time yeah. that's something that's just come out wow um, so it's part two with communication. You know, we talk about in Montessori that the absorbent mind period where all there aren't filters in children when they're young, like I can be with you and someone just walked by out in the outside. I can see that, but I'm with you. Mm-hmm. I don't have any filters. Everything's coming in. So when we're pregnant, everything's coming in too. And if we are, say, to be unnatural, to be who we are, but bring some curiosity or awareness around the fact that if we are arguing or if we're in a place that we're feeling we don't want to be in, to consider that the child may be sensing that same thing. Yeah, it's all just such a beautiful concept. So my son is 21 months. <laughs> um, so pregnancy uh-huh. is decently recent. <laughs> yeah. And so I, you know, I just got kind of emotional while you were talking. <laughs> but something that resonated when you were talking was the water and the vibrations. Also, because initially when I went into college, um, I was a nanny, but simultaneously I wanted to be a marine biologist. So oh, it was, uh-huh. um, you know, how, you know, marine mammals communicate, you know, in a similar sense, you know, and so it's just so beautiful how even having, you know, your your client's children shouting for joy and playing nearby, you know, the child being able to sense their vibrations is so beautiful. So <laughs> thank you for sharing those things. So, you know, as a doula and a midwife assistant and Montessorian, do you have tips for communicating and connecting with your child during, you know, all the stages, so pregnancy, labor, delivery, birth, and newborn phase? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll, I'll even start a little earlier, just very briefly. Like when I do childbirth education, I find that it's helpful. You know, we all have our, in our family that we live in, we have our history 
of the story of what it means to be pregnant, of the story of what birth means, Mm -hmm. of the story of what it's like after birth. And those are our coverings that we hold on us. And they may be positive and they may be filled with other things or they may be silent. Silence is a language. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that we explore a bit together is the generational stories about birth or about pregnancy. Mm -hmm. So I like to work with experientially with art and with anything that we can if people are willing to explore that and then come into the possibility that we can write our own story. We can write our own story and what that means and what I always notice in people when that process gets voiced, that there's a longing in them to do that, you know, and and then just a whole process that, that, that they go into. So I would say that is one of the things that it's even in pregnancy, part of the connecting yeah. because we carry that. And if we hold that through our pregnancy and sometimes we don't speak it, mm. but it's there, then again, the child I feel is sensing that and it may bring up many things in, in us. It might bring up fear and might bring up loss of self, you know, all, all these things. And then there's culturally how we hold motherhood, mm-hmm. which where I am, if you look at not in, at Ananda, but um, wider and wider, it's not real positive, yeah. you know, and yeah. and it's often lonely. So the other, um, well, we'll touch on this later, so I won't talk about it now, but as far as communicating and being with your unborn child there's touch certainly as we talked about earlier just with my hands when we have home births we're familiar I feel to the child Mm -hmm. and certainly to the family but when we're pregnant that touch can be happening and you often I mean you you remember that too how you would just bring your hands and feel Mm -hmm. and we can feel I was showing somebody the other day in a prenatal how you know, sometimes women will say, I don't know what position my baby's in. I don't know. Can you tell me? And I'll say, well, bring your hand here. Bring your hand. Just move. What do, what do you think that is? Mm. What do you think that is? And, you know, they'll get a smile on their face. Like, that feels like a foot. Is that a knee? And then there's a long part. I mean, depending on how the baby's lying, there's a long part here, which would be the back. And maybe the head's down, which we will always invite the mother to feel the head Mm. I mean why would we how would we not do that it's her body yeah but I was explaining to this woman how there's something called belly mapping Mm. that I had training in and I mean it's very familiar to anyone who's working in these ways but you can actually draw on the belly the baby at that time if you were wanting to but that is through the the sensing and the knowing of the mother you know it's not my process at all mm-hmm. i can give a little bit of guidance but the the touching and the talking to our child which can be reading books but it can also just be talking about the day and what's happening music i love music and I I don't know if you noticed this when you were pregnant, but the baby will move sometimes Mm -hmm. in in response. If you have a physio ball or or sometimes called a birth ball and you sit on that and you move, there's response in the child. If you're out in nature, I I mean, those are all things to do. I, I also, I started when I was pregnant, keeping a journal. And mostly it was a, for me, what was a journal about what was happening? But I, I also found that my dreams, they became different. Mm. They became more vivid. And so it was more like a dream journal. So I did that. And the other thing I'll say about music is, and you may have done this too, but if there's a certain part of music that we listen to while we are relaxing. You know, many times in pregnancy, we'll we'll notice that we turn more inward, like time of the clock is not the time we live in anymore. We live in what I call horticultural or biological time. So we start to be more centered with the water and the earth and the air and, and the wind and the fire. 
and the elements in that way. And if we are practicing relaxation, whatever we want to call it, meditation, and we listen to certain music, this is something that I have done in childbirth class. And then we would happen to wherever we birth, have that same music there. And we understand along with in the collaborative model that if I'm hearing this, my child is hearing this, if I'm relaxing and coming more grounded in myself, there's an experience in the child, which I feel becomes this, they become cellular memories within us. So then if we're in labor, well, when we're in labor, we will be in labor. When we're in labor, if that same music is playing, that memory is there. And it doesn't mean you have to play it the whole time. I had one person years ago, he's the child's in his 30s, and she listened to uh, on NPR that there was a show Car Talk. And years ago, that's what she listened to to relax. Wow. <laughs> so I remember being in the hospital with her. It was a hospital birth and Car Talk was on for a really long time. <laughs> and I was beginning to get a little annoyed, but that's what helped her. And I'll just say that. Uh, and then so the baby comes, the baby is first, and then afterward, in the first 40 days, if you play that music, there's that, it's, it becomes almost a transitional, not object, but part of the whole experience you've had together. Mm-hmm. And I'll just say very briefly, I, I taught childbirth class, one model called the Bradley Method for 18 years. And I taught in our home and Bob would teach with me sometimes, my husband, but he would then later on, they would go to the Y, the boys were older. My boys grew up with midwives, you know, they that's who their, their people were. But <laughs> at the end of class, we would have a relaxation. And this one evening, they came back a little early. And so they were just quiet in the kitchen. And then we were having a snack together as our group. And so they came in and everybody knew the kids. And Eli, I never had played this tape. It was the tape that I used because it's back when we had tapes. And Eli came in and he that tape was playing and he heard it and he went over and he looked at the tape player and he pushed it and he took up the tape and he looked at me and he looked at everybody and he said this is my song oh my gosh (laughs) so here he is he was probably seven or eight wow that's incredible so whatever we're doing in pregnancy to be within ourselves and singing is another thing that's wonderful because it, our jaw and our cervix are aligned. And if our jaw is really tight, the cervix is tight. So to sing, open the jaw, to make low sounds, all of those things we can do in pregnancy. And then the further you move along, you'll feel that down low. Mm-hmm. You'll feel the difference. And that helps even with when we get to a certain part of birth. If you're a new parent hoping to implement Montessori at home, you may be surprised to know that you will be spending the majority of your days fostering independence with your baby. Yes, even more than the Montessori toys, materials, activities, and furniture that you see on social media. And fostering independence is the easiest and quickest way to transform your parenting experience, bringing peace to your parenting as you optimize your baby's growth during their most crucial years of development. Plus, fostering independence is the most misunderstood Montessori concept for babies. That is why I am teaching my Montessori workshop on fostering independence from infancy to toddlerhood. In this 30-minute workshop, you will learn what it truly means to foster independence the Montessori way, plus you'll get the exact steps on how to foster independence with our non-mobile babies, our sitting, slithering, crawling, and cruising babies, and our young toddlers. This workshop is usually $9, but because my goal is to support you as much as possible, I am gifting it to you totally free. So, if you're ready to transform both your experience and baby's experience during their most crucial time in their developmental journey, click the free workshop link in the show notes. And now, back to our show. 
And the other thing that I'll add in pregnancy, I mean, there's so many, but to begin to think about afterbirth. Mm-hmm. And I don't ever want this to be the responsibility of the woman. And if she is a partner of the family, but if they, they may not have any family where they live, but they might have some friends and to consider what would be helpful for them after birth when they're home mm-hmm. or if they're staying at home. And the first thing that always comes to mind to me is to have food because that time is, and we'll talk about this more, but that nesting time is sacred. Mm-hmm. And it is just to hold this. And my hands are, it's almost like a heart. So if there's a friend or someone now, back then there was not the internet or anything, but uh, still we would create this network and somebody would be in charge of it. And just for however days, however weeks it went, working with the family, a meal would be brought every day. So someone organizes that as far as the family, how open they are to help. If a note is set outside with what's needed at the grocery store, light housekeeping, someone to come so the mom can take a shower if the co-parent, I mean, all the things, you know what it is, all those things that before we're pregnant, we might think, how, how could you not be able to take a shower? Mm -hmm. Go take a shower, you know, or to just be there with that person Mm -hmm. uh, while also being extremely sensitive to this profound time they're in. That's part of preparing for the birth, I would say. And I also feel that it's part of communicating with our child. Wow. Thank you so much for all those tips. The music piece really, I guess, struck a note, struck a note <laughs> with uh-huh. me <laughs> because uh, when, so when I was pregnant, there was this one song that I would sing every day and it was by Ingrid Michaelson and I would play it on, you know, the speaker in the kitchen and then, um, and my, so my son ended up arriving early and the birth was hard. And, you know, those in my audience know I have a whole episode on my birth, mm-hmm. and <laughs> but it was, I continued to sing the song and even to this day, it will immediately relax him, which is so, so cool. So I'm so thankful thankful for music and, you know, what it's done for our experience. Mm -hmm. And, you know, just so many of the pieces that you touched on, I feel like are so helpful to know and to, I guess, plan for because you don't necessarily know because every birth and newborn phase is, you know, unique to the mom and unique to the baby. And, you know, so all of these pieces are just so helpful to plan for because you're right, like at the end, it was really hard to take a shower, brush your teeth, (laughs) you know, and time is just a whole different concept during that phase. And, you know, I have a a best friend who was a total blessing in my world because she would food prep for me and come over and, you know, did you drink water today? You know, (laughs) so all these tips are just so, so helpful. So thank you for sharing. (laughs) Oh, you're welcome. I also wanted to note too, you know, I think one of the first things you touched on is writing your own story. And I think that that's probably also helpful for those who had harder births for a first birth too, going into Mm -hmm. a second birth. Yeah. And I'll I'll add to that, you know, um, part of that process in attending birth, we never, birth is unknown. Life is unknown. Yeah. Each breath is even unknown but those transitions of coming into the world and leaving the world we don't know how they will be and even attending births we hold within ourselves the respect of the unknown while also being and observing a lot and all those things and the reason that came to mind is you know the story that we rewrite part of the process that I invite people to is that we do that which is truly it shifts things but we also release it then because things may be different but what we've touched on in ourselves in writing that has moved us differently i feel birth is one of those times that labor and birth where it brings us in the present moment better than anything because no matter how our birth is how how our labor is our birth and if there's a different outcome or whatever we are in it we're in it and how we meet it is how we meet it and the place where we birth and the birthing collaborative support that we've brought is of our creation too but that releasing at least when we do the story and and what I'm talking about we talk about not to let it go to hold it but to let that go too thank you thank you for sharing that 
So are there any tips that you have to prepare for birth? You know, and also I know when we had spoken, you mentioned, um, you know, regarding the first 40 days and, you know, how that's such a sacred time. So would you mind just kind of diving into that a bit? (laughs) Not at all. So preparing for birth, one thing that when we talked about the unborn child, all of the experiencing that the, the child is having, which includes the vibration of the mother, hearing her, smelling her, the touch, all of those things we can keep in mind as we are preparing for birth. Because afterwards, you know, the child is here and is coming and then the child is earthside and there's that transition. And there are, in Montessori, we call them points of reference or reference points. Mm-hmm. I call them baby memories, mm-hmm. which are all of the things that we were just talking about. They were our life in the first prepared environment. So how can we have an environment prepared where however our birth is, it might be a birth that is in a, I've had births that were, babies were born at the light light of the moon. Wow. That's all the light we have. I've had births that were cesarean births. I've had births where babies were born outside. I've had births, all kinds of experiences. And you begin where you're at with these baby memories, being mindful that they truly exist. They are the ways that support the adaptation, Earthside being in the world, and also the the adaptation and being in really acknowledgement that I'm here. And this is true too for the acceptance for the mother too. Because no matter how many times we birth, we come in and where we are mother again. Mm-hmm. And for the child to come into the awareness of being a son or a daughter to, to being here. Mm-hmm. So with birth, wherever, you know, let's say that a baby's born in the practice that I do at home, we feel that um, in a normal birth that it, it's not our process, the process of the mother and the baby and the the family. So we are very hands off unless something is needed. And recognizing that what is most familiar to the child is not us, it is the parent or the parents. Mm-hmm. And so for the child to be able to soon as possible, and again, with the cesarean, it could be as soon as possible. Mm. that you are skin to skin with your child. And right then, those baby memories are there. And so the vibration, you know, many studies have been done on this, but a a baby's born and the mother brings the baby up. Most of the time, the baby comes up to the left side, which is where the baby feels the vibration of the heart the strongest. Mm. So that, and, and many times, if I'm observing, I'll see that happen. But so the the heart and the breath and the scent and the touch and the sight to give time and to take keep hands off what is, is needed after birth from an attendance standpoint, we can do with very little touch. Mm-hmm. We're looking and we're assessing and we're doing these things. And then in the hospital, the same thing. If there's been discussion about this with the cesarean as well, that you are with your child because they understand that, mm-hmm. how important that is. And and also, and you would remember this with the microbes, yeah. that that's part of those uh, reference points. So we don't wash the baby. We let the, there's the vernix or that, it's like um, cream, that white substance. If that's there, we can rub that to the baby's skin. We let the saturation of the mother that the babies move through, however they birth, that's there. Mm-hmm. That flora, and they're even with cesareans now doing vaginal swabs after birth and bathing the baby in that. So those microbes are on the child. So so those are some of the things. And I've been at births where um, you might remember this too, how strong babies are. Like a baby 
might be on the skin to skin on their belly and right after birth or whenever you have them, they'll lift their head up Mm -hmm. and look into your eyes. You know, they find us, they Mm -hmm. find us. And I've been at births where there might be a lot of people in the room. And I remember one in particular where there were six people and that baby just raised his head up and he scanned. So, you know, it challenged all my things about how far can babies see Mm -hmm. while they can see from we're holding them to our breast. Well, this child was looking and just scanned and didn't stop until they got to the parents. Wow. So, you know, that's preparation for, for birth afterwards. And the other things I'll say is just in preparing for birth, thinking about birth as our process, and this is our body, and however we want to birth, however it is, that we we can move if we would like in collaboration with others. So that it doesn't feel as if something's happening to us, but that we are a part of the process, which can be very empowering. And as you mentioned earlier, if we had a prior birth that maybe was different, things can can shift. And so preparing where, where we're going to birth, who we would like to have with us, and then doing all of the the other works that we've talked about in preparing and there's many aspects in labor and there's many ways that we can work with ourselves during labor. But if we have people with us who have that sensitivity, to me, it's very similar to being in the classroom Mm. where we're looking for the sensitive periods. I feel that women are in, in labor. I don't think of those as the parts of labor. I think of those as sensitive periods that we're moving through. And then the birth happens. And then there's that time. And hopefully the once the baby is with us, we are with the child. And that it often happens where if there's a co-parent, male or female, they will come into a, what well, we are mammals, you know? And so the way we birth has, no, has not changed. Mm-hmm. Our needs during pregnancy and birth have not changed from the beginning. The environments have changed, but our need for wanting safety, finding a place that is safe, taking care of ourselves, taking care of our baby before it's born and as it's born, that doesn't change. Yeah. And afterward as well. And many times the other person will take, come into this, it's not like a role, but come into this energy of protector. So stepping in to care for her, care for both of them. And then they can all be cared for, which moves into the first 40 days, which in midwifery we would sometimes call baby moon time in montessori it's called the symbiotic period so the first 68 weeks but i find it astounding and i work with people from all over the world and hearing from from them in their culture the first 40 days the first 40 days that this is a sacred time and it's known and it's it's profound and it's recognized and it's a ritual. Mm-hmm. And in our culture where I live, it has been forgotten a lot. But in many cultures, it is a time where you are placed away and you are protected. Different foods are brought each day. There's massage, there's different healing practices that are happening. Mm -hmm. Every single day is different, but it goes for those that time. It can't be nothing if it happens all over, you know. And so in pregnancy, as I said, part of preparing can be not that we scramble around and have to do that because how exhausting you know, but that hopefully we can have a community or find resources that can support us during that time. And the first 40 days doesn't mean you're at day 41 and you're done. Mm. It just means that it lasts for that time period. There's certain things happening hormonally and physiologically in the mother and the newborn that they kind of 
come together around that time. Not like they're the same, but there's something that shifts. So, you know, there might be a tradition where they have like a a going out ceremony or they bring the child out to the community after that period's over. So, yeah. (laughs) Such a beautiful time. I remember in my training when I first learned about the symbiotic period, how astounded I was at the collaboration part of it between the mother and the baby, even the physical and the hormonal and with what happens with nursing. And it's a beautifully connected time. (laughs) Thank you so much for sharing all of that. First of all, I just want to say that you give off such a peaceful energy. So as you know, the the majority of our listeners, they are parents of infants or about to be parents of infants. We have some caregivers and grandparents and the majority is new and expectant parents. So is there a piece of advice that you've learned um, within your experience that you would like to share for early parenthood? (laughs) Well, the big one would be to have care of you in that time, which is the the nest that we mentioned to have that and to rest and to recover no matter if we birth naturally or in other ways and I'll get all graphic here but with the placenta coming that's a larger organ that's coming out mm-hmm. and that area has to heal um, we need to rest and recover and fall in love with each other. Mm-hmm. And also, I really feel that, which I was just writing with uh, one of my students about this yesterday, that I feel as if, I've always felt this, I felt this with my first son, that my first son, Seth, he was teaching me more than I knew. If I was open to observing him, and especially with breastfeeding, and, you know, learning the cues and the sounds and what those are mm-hmm. and our visceral response to those that the child teaches us. And sometimes I feel as if they, they have so much compassion mm-hmm. and wisdom. I always feel this compassion, wisdom and trust in us. Yeah. And hopefully we can receive that from them. There's that collaboration to not forget that you're not alone, which after birth, especially in our culture, it can be a lonely time and it can be where there's isolation. And it's not a surprise that in America, we have the highest incidence of postpartum depression. So in Montessori, we would call that a deviation. It's not a natural event for that to happen. And so again, creating what what we can, having what we can, and then as people that are within the community, that we can be sensitive to new families, to have sensitivity to them, Mm -hmm. and to offer ourselves in any ways that we can. And if we are people that work in schools or, or in some capacity with families, to have awareness of resources for you know, if I'm really going through time of depression after birth, I shouldn't be the one that has to go through the phone book, you know, and hopefully we have, as you spoke of your friend that came, someone that is there and can be with us and have awareness of, you know, when we are sleep deprived and when we haven't, we haven't eaten all day and all of those things. So those, those are some ideas, but, and to also not to overdo it. And it doesn't take much at all. You know, we always say your work is only to care for yourself and your baby. That's all. And if you do, you might start to feel better and it might be really bugging you that the carpet isn't vacuumed or, you know, in the Amish community, somebody might start sweeping the floor and our our bleeding time after birth can be slowing down and it will start up again, which is telling us too much, too much. But to really, it's not that long of a period to just be resting. And I mean, there's a lot of layers to that around, again, the story 
stories in our family around after birth. Maybe there's something that's held that it's really hard and the baby cries all the time and and you won't know what to do and you're not going to get any sleep. And so there's all this anticipation around it. And then you're in the reality of it. And is there a way that you can soften into this more through being cared for and being nurtured and and also somehow having the willingness within yourself to ask for help? That can be very hard for many. That's hard for me. It was hard for me. (laughs) So Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Thank you for sharing that. I feel like it's hard too because there's a piece of you and I feel like I'm barely coming into starting to recognize myself again, right. you know? Mm-hmm. It's just, you know, you're you're immersed in 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 the Montessori sense. I'm so so grateful for, you know, having that foundation because it taught me to, you know, rely on observation to rely on, um, you know, those tiny little pieces that I would keep in my pocket in the classroom, like deep breaths or, you know, imagining something like that brings you peace. For example, for me, because I love the sea, like I mentioned, I would imagine, you know, diving under a wave and feeling the water just kind of brush through my hair, grasp onto that during, you know, moments that were harder. And so, you know, I think that's such a great tip to be able to feel like you can reach out to your community and for the community to come around to create a, a peace bubble (laughs) around mom and baby. (laughs) So yeah, thank you for sharing those things. Yeah, all of these things become grassroots, don't they? They become, I feel like, you know, as a community, if we see someone who's in pregnancy, if we have resonance with that, then we have self-awareness around it a little bit and then we come into choice. And I do. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you for sharing. I feel like it's going to be so, so, so helpful. You know, a lot of parents are in that phase when they find my show. And so I think, you know, just even hearing that is going to be so, so helpful. So thank you, Pamela. You're welcome. So for a quick rapid fire question before we hop off, what is your current favorite Montessori quote? Well, I I actually have it here. Every day it's a new one, you know, they just come up. But I love this one. She said, love is more than the electricity, which lightens our darkness, more than the etheric waves that transmit our voices across space, more than any of the energies that man has discovered and learned to use. Of all things, love is the most potent from the observant mind. That is the perfect way to end this episode. So thank you for sharing that. You're very welcome. So I will have all of your resources linked in the show notes for anyone who wants to go and find you, find your services and, you know, your resources. Everything is there. So you guys have it. And that is about it. Thank you so much, Pamela, for coming on the show. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's been such a pleasure and meeting you and getting to know you and being with the wider community of who listens. Thank you. And that was our conversation with Pamela. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. I know I really felt just her amazing energy through even our online meeting. I just can't say enough wonderful things about her. I will have all of her resources, information, contact info linked in the show notes. She has her own space and play group in the Pennsylvania area. So if anyone is local to that, I highly suggest checking her out. And I do want to quickly note that I've been corresponding with quite a few of you who are in my course, in my Montessori Babies course, which is my signature program. And I am having so much fun getting to see how you guys are infusing Montessori into your own unique homes and following your own unique babies. And I had this one student who shared her creative space. She had a smaller space set up similar to me. I have a smaller space and she got so creative with her environment with, you know, accessible dishes and the setup for her younger child as well. She has a toddler and an infant and it's just so beautiful to see. I'm so honored to say that there are parents from around the world in the Montessori Babies course. It is aimed at helping you both understand and implement Montessori at home from birth to two. And I'm so glad to say that the number one piece of 
feedback that I'm getting from it is that new mamas have found their confidence in supporting their kids and in supporting their earliest and most important years of development. So I am just so thankful and honored and joyful and all the things to be able to do this and share this with you guys. And, you know, for those who are in my podcast community, I'm so, so glad you're here. So thankful to be even a small support on your journey. And yeah, there's just something really magical about the mind of an infant. And actually, I go into that in the guide that I mentioned earlier in the show that's linked in the show notes. You will find a lot of information about what's going on in the mind of an infant and young toddler in that guide. So definitely check that out. And that is about it. Thank you guys so much for listening to season two, episode 28 of our Monastery Babies podcast. And I will catch you in our next episode. Bye. Hey, it's Bianca, your baby tour guide here, hopping back in to say thank you again for listening to this episode of our Montessori Babies podcast. If you found this episode helpful, I would absolutely love if you would screenshot this episode and share it in your stories and tag me at baby tour guide. Also, leaving a review is really helpful in helping other parents and caregivers find our show. Dr. Montessori said, the greatness of the human personality begins at the hour of birth, and you, as their parent and guide or caregiver are just the perfect person for that job. I'm so, so honored to be even a small part on your journey. And just remember that we're in this together.